All right. So basically, I'm, I'm going to give a little background about my journey. I'm Catherine Welch. I'm a pediatrician, and I've been in the field since 2000. I first went to Thailand, and when I went to Thailand, I had no idea I'd end up in this. I don't think I'd ever heard of human trafficking or anything. So you guys, just by being here, are way ahead of the game. Um, I went to Thailand and then started. I was on the Thai-Burma border, just wanted to be a doctor to people who didn't have a doctor. And then I started seeing women and men going back and forth, and then I would see left-behind children as their parents are migrants, uh, probably from Burma, moving into Thailand. But then I would also see people coming back, um, absolutely um, some of them totally psychotic, just dissociated from, rea from reality um, due to the trauma that they had experienced in their migrant worker situation. Um, some of them I really couldn't get their history because they, they basically couldn't really talk to you anymore. They were, they were so far dissociated from reality. But some of them I know, um, regardless of whether they're trafficked for labor purposes or sexual exploitation, um, many, many people end up being sexually assaulted during their experience. And so then I began to understand, like, oh, the situation. Then some of my colleagues were doing outreach in Bangkok. And so then we set up a clinic where when I would go to Bangkok, we would do a clinic as a type of, as an outreach to the women that they were, they were uh, working with. Um, just to do a, a simple, basically STD clinic, but we'd also treat other problems. And then I moved to China. Well, in between, then I came back to the States, did more education, learned more, went to China, actively sought out ways to um, get involved. And you'll hear more of that journey as I talk. And so I am going to... There's some objectives here. Um, just describe some of the health consequences um, but I could fill up an hour and a half of just talking about that. Um, but I'm just going to give you an overview. Then we're going to talk about identification. We're going to talk about research, advocacy, service. And I'll tell you a little bit about um, the things that I'm involved with, the things that I've done, hopefully hopefully stimulate you to, to get have an idea of what you want to do. Because obviously you've heard about this, what is it, um, and what can you do about it. So trafficking is the new slavery. Um, you know, if you're here, it's because you've heard about it. Um, and there's lots and lots of organizations, lots of people doing lots of um, just awareness raising. Um, but only in the last few years have health professionals uh, realized that, wow, we could really, we have a part to play specifically, not just in, in general like rescues, but post-rescue, and also prevention and identification. And so there's more and more awareness among the health professionals. And really, that's why I'm here and um, what I've been spending a lot of my time doing. Um, and so just a basic definition. You know, there's trafficking, um, and that means that they're, they're coerced. They're deceived into doing... You can be in Louisville. You can, you can be a runaway in Louisville, and then be trafficked in Louisville and never leave Louisville or wherever your hometown is. I mean, it's just that you have lost all your personal agency um, to do anything. You're not in control of your documents, your money, or anything. So a lot of American girls are pimped, 
and they have lost control of their 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 life. And so basically, they're trafficked. <laughs> now, that may not fit the international definition, but you do not have to cross an international border, whereas smuggling is different. Now, people who pay someone to smuggle them across an international border are at risk for being trafficked, and a lot of them are, but they're not necessarily trafficked. It's because they are smuggled. They're paying someone to take them. And so that's the difference between trafficking and smuggling. Smuggling involves going across a border. Trafficking does not have to have that. And then I work in prostitution um, in this definition, too, because there's a lot of... I. Because I'm a pediatrician and I do a lot of women's health, a lot of the trafficking that I work in happens to be in sexual exploitation, uh, prostitution, sex slavery, sexual exploitation. Um, but as I've said before, a lot of trafficking involves labor, um, bonded slaves, other kind, other lots forms of trafficking. And I do have some experience, but most of my experience happens to be in sexual exploitation. Now. There's a lot about there's a lot about trafficking and sex trafficking and all this, but my challenge I'm going to just start off the bat with this is say that I don't I have yet to meet uh, a prostitute or someone who is prostituted who hasn't who doesn't have some form of trafficking <laughs> experience. I mean it's it's and it's a challenge to the church. You know it's a lot easier to say you work against trafficking than to say you work with prostituted women or children. I mean, it's just, you can't, you can't get funding for it because of, you know, it's not a politically correct term. You know, I'm working with organizations. They say, oh, we, we call them sex workers. You know, they're not prostitutes and all this. But I'm just going to challenge you, you know, as the body of Christ to say that these are people we need to include. And also, if if a prostituted woman isn't technically trafficked, she's likely to be sometime if she keeps going in it. We were talking about 14-year-old runaway girls. You know, they're, they get hooked up and with their sugar daddy. You know, they get nice phones. And eventually, I mean, I've heard story after story after story, and they end up. So it's just to broaden the definition between prostitution <laughs> trafficking. In my experience, it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> it's just what you call it. And it's easier to say that you work against uh, human trafficking than it is to say you work against prostitution. Because then you're like anti-woman, you know, please. I have yet to meet someone, I have yet to meet someone who's been in that life who would choose to do that again. So, um, health and trafficking, health providers are on the front lines. Um, I'll show you a slide later. 28%, there's a study in Europe, say 28% of women who, got, who were trafficked say that they had access to a health provider uh, while they were in the trafficking situation. And I'll bet it's, it's higher than that. Um, so law enforcement, health providers, uh, social workers, they all have, they have access to these people, unknowingly or unknowingly. So it's just one of those interfaces where you have a chance to make a difference in someone's life. And yes? I'm just curious. You said that women, but what about boys? Yes. Yes, boys too. Yeah, I try to be gender neutral. But yes, boys. And let me just say that there's lots of boys. Oh, and it's really, really hard to work with boys. I mean, no one, I mean, it's these poor girls, that, but no one wants to 
wants to fund a project to work with rent boys, as they say. Um, that's one of the terms they use um, for prostituted boys. And then there's male prostitution. Um, yeah, it's it's all there. Um, so, and it's understanding. So, what we have as health professionals, we have to understand the health consequences. Um, we have to get our mind frame around identifying and understanding how and and working on ways to identify and help and ways to help key your mind if you're seeing a patient what are the clues what are the red flags um, to help identify we're going to talk about some research advocacy service um, applications and most importantly prevention um, and that's something that we can do too and so about health risks, there's many, many health risks. When people at risk for um, being trafficked, uh, they're already poor. They have poor health. And so when they get into a situation where a prostituted woman is, feels like there's no other way or there is no other way to provide health care for her child, such as a woman in China uh, who prostitutes herself to pay for her child who has cerebral palsy to pay for that child's expensive medical care. Because in China, the solution is to abandon that child to a state-run orphanage and then let the state take care of it. Well, she chose not to abandon her child, but in the process, she was abandoned by her husband and the rest of her family. So now, what is she going to do? She's she's lost her income. She's lost her support system. She feels like there's... And her, the care is expensive, she feels like there's no other way. So here is a woman who's prostituting herself and taking her child to the doctor. Now, how can you tell? You know, if, you're, if I'm the pediatrician caring for this child with cerebral palsy, how can I know that, that, how that mother is caring for her? It's just, it's just being aware of the situation and asking some pertinent questions. But basically, there are comorbid uh, conditions. They're contributing, they're contributing conditions because they're poor, they have poor health, and they have lack of access, either due to um, their time, um, clinics not open, the discrimination, the stigma. Uh, there's places in India that the hospital clerks will demand sex to see the doctor because the clerk will know that they're, <laughs> you know, that they know what they do, so they say, oh, well, give me sex before, and then I'll let you see the doctor. And it happens. And so are they going to go to the doctor so they lose out on help preventive services? And so there's six basic categories of health risks. It's non-infectious, non-infectious, reproductive health, violence, mental health, substance abuse. And the point here, really, I'm not going to go, I mean, if I'll do, I'll do a workshop at your medical school <laughs> and, and cover all of these things at length. Um, but basically, it's these people are whole people. Who, who have a, a number of different conditions that are affecting their health and a number of different ways that you have a point of access to help them. So whereas a lot of people say, well, you know, they have risk of HIV and STDs, um, but that's not the only risk. And they may not be, that may not be what they're really concerned about as far as their health is concerned. Um, so just to say that there are new, so I was just, before I started, I was saying that healthcare is really getting on the cutting edge of how, 
of the niche in where health and human trafficking intersect. And so just published uh, earlier this year is the International Organization for Migration has just uh, published this book. Um, it's downloadable for free from the IOM website. It's iom.int. Um, but if you want to have a look at this uh, later, I brought a copy. And, um, and it covers not only health consequences, but medical legal, uh, charting. It addresses self-care, um, the care of the health provider when you're dealing with uh, these very difficult situations. And so this is, um, this is brand new. Very happy to have this out. And um, very, and I, um, it was a pleasure to be one of the contributing authors of this. Um, so it was, it's very cool. Um, this is uh, China. If you're ever considering coming to China and you think it's just all city and urban, uh, think again. Uh, so we need more people in China. If this interests you, please come. <laughs> um, you know, infectious disease, we talked about not only uh, sexually transmitted infections, but there's also tuberculosis, uh, skin infestations. Um, and if you're working in the States and you think this person may come from another country, you may see some things that aren't indigenous to your own community. Um, malaria, intestinal parasitism, all these things are contributing. <clears throat> Non-infectious disease, of course, there's malnutrition. Um, if some of you are working with homeless youth, you know that dental care is a huge problem. Or with the, um, with the impoverished uh, people, dental care is a huge problem. And poor teeth contribute to poor nutrition, and the cycle goes. Um, in a study, now this is not related to trafficking, but homeless youth, when discussing the problems that they're most concerned about was getting their asthma medication. Uh, you know, it, it's, you, have to, you have to be holistic in your approach to caring for these people because they'll walk away. Um, just like when you're seeing other, all kinds of, you know, when you're seeing your other patients. You have to, you have to be comprehensive with, these, with, these, with this population even more so because they're not going to just readily offer it. And so often they'll have... Uh, diabetes, or other chronic active problems. On reproductive health, uh, you may know that adolescents have a higher risk for getting HIV and uh, STDs because of their young physiology of their reproductive system. Um, it's also important to note that in a study um, published, it was published last year, a study of trafficking victims in Nepal, 60% um, of trafficked girls under the age of 18 were HIV positive. And so the study said it showed a direct correlation between age of being trafficked and risk for HIV. And that's what that uh, study was about. I have that link somewhere else. Um, but the, anyway, if you, want, if, you want to, if you want the information on that study, see me later. Um, of course, there's maternal child health consequences. Um, I mean, I could talk in a whole hour on this. Um, but it's important to note when you're dealing um, with these people, uh, even men. I mean, I saw, I mean, in Thailand, you know, I saw women who were affected, but I saw quite a few men, um, young men, who, were in, who had sexually transmitted infections so bad that 
they were concerned about a normal reproductive health. I mean, this includes men, um, but also women. Even if they're in this business, they think, oh, one, two years, I'll make money and then get out. But then they come to realize that they are so sick all the time. But And then they're, they're, one of their major concerns is that once they get out, because there's there are still, many of them still have a hope that once they get out, they want to have a normal reproductive life. They want to get married, have their own children, have a family. And so that's important to realize when you're, when you're working with these people that it's, it's, it's not just what's the problem now, but you want them, you want to, you want to still help them have hope. Um, and you want to still encourage them to move on and get out because there are some girls that I work with, they have lost hope already. But there are some who haven't. And so you want to continue to encourage their hope. Um, that was taken out my kitchen window once in China. Um, mental health. Um, you know, and it's when you're doing these studies, when, I, when I'm doing this work, I'm working with, I form my own organization called Global Health Promise. And we work alongside NGOs or organizations who have on who work on the ground and they have the relationships um, with these women and so we were doing a focus group in India and we were discussing their children we were discussing violence substance abuse all these different categories the NGO however had was only focusing on one infectious disease and only one section was HIV or other sexually transmitted infections but during this focus group we're asking questions about all these things and so they, they said that, um, you know, it's, and so we were asking, and this NGO hadn't looked at that at all, and a clinician, not me that time, 90% of the women that were examined, 100, of 100 women, 90% were diagnosed as being clinically depressed at that visit. Um, 50%, and this was in Andhra Pradesh, 50% had admitted that they had attempted suicide once. 25% had admitted that they had attempted suicide two or more times. And so it's a huge, huge issue. And then, you know, if they are successful, their children are orphaned, and then you have other pediatric issues. Um, and this is a quote from someone. Uh, I am scared for no reason. I think that someone is behind my door, window. Someone will find me, pick me up, beat me, and kill me. I have run off, and they are looking for me. My mood changes all the time. I cannot control my mind. And so this is a quotation from a woman who had been rescued and, and in a shelter, but still, I mean, long, long, long-term uh, recovery. Uh, substance abuse. Um, yes, it's true that there are a lot of uh, people who trade sex for drugs, um, but a lot of people take uh, drugs to anesthetize themselves. I also know that um, if they have children, they will also drug their children for the night to keep them quiet while they are at work. And there's up to 100% usage among exploited, uh, among some exploited uh, women. I have another note here. Um, so violence. Um, it's, I mean, even high-level call girls. Uh, I mean, the, the reports that they give, and, they, and they've written some books or articles, I mean, they, even they are experiencing um, a lot of violence. And it only gets worse the lower down the food chain that you go as far as there's the levels of uh, prostituted men and women. Um, it's pretty extreme. And so most of the women 
um, or men, they're actually more worried about dying from murder or from some extreme trauma uh, than from dying from HIV AIDS in five to ten years. I mean, if they get that, well, sure, at least they have a few more years to live with their children. But if they die that night, then that's it. So, and there was another focus group where we were addressing this, and they had said to us, after we're asking all these questions, the, um, the local leader of the organization with whom we were working, uh, the women, this happens to be a focus group of prostitute women, turned to the, the local organization leader and says, we never hear about this, you know, we never talk about this. Well, thank you, thank you for talking about this, because this guy over here, all he asks is how many men we slept with and whether or not we used a condom. But now, um, the group that I was working with was asking about things they really cared about. And they talked for a long time. They talked about violence, talked about uh, their children and their children's health and their own health and just the trauma they experienced by seeing their friends die um, being murdered. Um, this was um, a prostituted teen in China. Um, she had been recruited to work in a restaurant when she was 13. Um, she had been in the business for about three years by the time I talked to her. And she wants to make as much money as possible, turn around and use as many men as possible, and then she'll probably kill herself because then her life won't have anything else to it. Um, so as far as, the, you know, as far as the health consequences, this is just a brief snippet. It's just, you know, there's a, there's, it's a multi-stage, um, multi-stage process, but it's multiple comorbidities working together. Um, it's also important to know that all, everything is voluntary. Um, and, you know, it's, we all struggle with this when we have patients that refuse treatment, they refuse exam, refuse this test, um, but you have to let them go. It's, it is so important, even if, you know, you really, they really need to get this test, they, you really need to do this exam, but you have to let them have autonomy. Be, otherwise, you will continue the violation upon them. And so it's, it's even more important to recognize that they're autonomy. And it's important for you to start building trust and, and building and an honoring that person. And so it doesn't matter. As long as they're kept safe and as long as they, they, you can help them repeatedly, maybe you know, every day remind them that they are safe, it's important for you to let them have autonomy to refuse anything. Otherwise, you're, they will put you in the same category as their pimp or their trafficker. And um, if you can, if you have resources, uh, try to involve as many different uh, people, social workers, counselors. Um, you know, if you're working where I'm working, you don't have as much. But you can still love them and try the best you can. And um, so just talking a little bit about... Uh, identification, and that there are many, many, many missed opportunities. But I was, um, a friend of mine was talking to a physician a couple weeks ago, and she was saying, ah, yeah, but these people are so hard. They're so, there's such a problem. You can't really help them. And, you know, you're not really going to get anywhere with that <laughs> attitude. Um, so it's, that's another, so it's just starting with, the attitude towards these people, because they are difficult. 
Um, so there's a identification. Well, anyway, I don't think neither one of these people were traffic, but they're still interesting. Um, <laughs> so this was um, a study. I had the reference also. Um, was that there was a survey done by personnel in emergency departments um, that, you know, most of them knew what trafficking was and, you know, it, almost a third of them thought it was a problem where they were. Um, less than 3% had ever had any training, but 13% felt that they could identify a trafficked person in the emergency department, and 6% had knowingly treated a trafficking victim. Um, so this is just two emergency departments. We have a long way to go um, in understanding. And so, you know, as I said before, the HCP is healthcare provider. You know, these people aren't exactly just crying out for help and, you know, wearing a sign says, I'm traffic, please help me. And um, it's, they're, they're dirty. They come in at three in the morning when you're tired, you're busy, the board's full, they're smelly. It's a weird situation. Um, a, you know, their trafficker, their pimp might give a story that he's her brother uh, the girl is schizophrenic and tells stories. She's not to be believed. <laughs> uh, you know, and, or, and it's just weird. They give you a hard time. You know, the tendency is to treat them and street them because you really don't want to deal with this. This is just a difficult situation. But it's remembering that, okay, it's like putting it on your differential diagnosis. You know, is it going to be a common thing you run across? Maybe not. Um, it depends. You work in New York City or Miami, you know, it might be more common. Um, but it happens everywhere. Every single state, every city has it. Like, for example, Ohio uh, is the fifth, is the fifth, it's ranked fifth in, like, numbers of traffic people. Um, this is domestic or international. Ohio. So, and just because of, you know, Ohio being... It's relatively large, um, relatively quiet, but being a crossroads of America. So you've just gotta you've gotta start learning what do these people look like? What are the red flags? Um, for example, um, let's see, I have this card. This is a simple thing. Um, Doctors at War, we're starting to put out a, a we're developing a phrase book that's gonna have at least thirty different languages that has some uh, phrases of basic healthcare questions like blood pressure, you know, and and just general questions. But we're also going to have questions that have specific that are specific to identifying uh, someone who might be trafficked. Um, but this is just in English. Some basic facts. Um, pick it up at the Doctors at War booth. Um, so some questions to think about. It's well, are you in control um, of you have to be slight. You can't say traffic. They may not know what that is. Or you being pimped. You can't ask them outright. Um, it's important to get them alone by themselves. Uh, you can say, oh, well, we need to do an x-ray. And, you know, your, your um, companion can't come in the x-ray room. You know, you just, you can, you can make something up. Or, you know, you just say, we need to get you alone um, to do the exam. And, and, you know, we've had this situation if you work with abuse and or dealing with um, non-English speakers. It is sometimes not always safe to use their companion 
um, no matter who they say they are, they may say that they're a brother or whatever, try to use uh, an objective interpreter, um, someone provided by the hospital or someone not, not related to them if you're really suspecting something dodgy is going on. And so, you know, have you ever been threatened that you won't leave? You know, are they able to carry their own passport? Are they able to carry their own money? Um, how do they pay for things? A lot of domestically, they have uh, like green spot cards. These are cards where they can just go and put cash on. And they don't carry cash, but the traffickers can use these because they can be used anywhere. You just put cash on, but they can, it can also be tracked for what exactly they're buying. Um, so there's some, there's a paper published that talks about um, interviewing, um, 10 principles for interviewing. There's a reference at the end. Um, so it's just things to uh, familiarize yourself. Like I said, I don't have time to teach you everything that there is. Research. So moving on. We are in a unique position to do research. I mean, talking about we, people like me, on the ground. Um, the problem is that at the moment, there's no problem of trafficking. There's no problem of, health of maternal child health consequences of prostitution and trafficking because there's no data. <laughs> so no data, no problem. But if you think about, um, of all the prostituted women in the world, there's about 50% of them have children. Okay, And there's studies that show that on average, if a, the prostituted mothers have an average of two children each. So if you think, if there's 20 million prostituted women, 10 million of them have children. 10 million have about two children each. That Together, that's 30 million people. That's about the population of Canada or Peru, 29th largest country. So that's just one segment of the trafficking issue, about which there is no nothing. So no data, no problem. You want to do effective interventions? Evidence-based medicine, right? You want to do services? You want to help these people? Well, how do we help them? We have to talk to them. We have to find out what their problems are. I mean, we can assume that there are problems based on the nature of their situation, but do we really know? And how do we best help them? You know, what is, how do we do this? So research generates data. Data, you know, better informs services and interventions. You know, people want to do service, but I have nothing wrong with that. But there's, but there's to be better informed and to do effective and meaningful services to better serve their needs. And then it divide, and then it, and then it develops more data, interventions, policies, programs, and then more funding. So, right now we're at the bottom of the cycle. So, um, for example, I've just been um, I've just been asked having meetings with uh, Destiny Rescue serves 1,500 girls in 18 different shelters throughout the world. And they don't have any set medical program, set medical, you know, identification, health records, things like that to, to, and I said, wow, you know, that's an opportunity. I mean, not to see these women as data points, because that's the beauty of, of, of being in this position, is that being on the ground, seeing each one of these persons as an image of God but then seeing an opportunity to bridge the gap onto the secular 
inter multinational NGO world of public health and policies and interventions. Um, it's, it's, we, can, we can take a situation like this, and they're all about helping. Well, I'm seeing the connection between helping them, but everyone else around the world, and then identifying more men, women, boys, and girls. And so this is a, a new, unique position that, I mean, I'm blessed to be in, is to be straddling both worlds. And so, and then these, not just generating data, but that can directly affect those, the people with whom I'm gathering the data from, but then speaking to the rest of the world about this. Um, and it's because it's not just this 18-month project where you come in and, uh, you know, you have, you know, Gates Foundations comes in, they get these local people and, and come out. I'm not saying they don't do good work, but I've been on the ground and I see, I've seen big NGOs come in and do a project and then come out. Um, where we are on the ground for years and years. We can speak the language, we know the culture, we have relationships, we know how to get things done, and we can have a long-term sustainable relationship with um, these organizations. So someone like me, I'm based in one place, but when I go to do work, it's, it's I, as a health professional, I'm coming alongside um, an outreach. I mean, sometimes it's just... It's just a group of lay women who go start prayer walking and then start, and before they know it, they have girls, and before they know it, they have shelters, and then they have a, a jewelry business. But then coming alongside a group like that and building their capacity, because I can't be everywhere at once, but I can come in and, and, and just develop and bring depth and breadth to their projects. So advocacy. Um, yes, no, it's great. Uh, awareness campaigns, um, but I'm not a movie star making a movie about, you know, look how much I care about trafficking, and I'm starring in my own movie about trafficking. But anyway, a little cynical there. <laughs> but it takes people like you talking to your professionals. I mean, doctors to doctors. I mean, doctors, I mean, let's face it, doctors will only pretty much listen to doctors. <laughs> and lawyers will pretty much only listen to lawyers. And... So then you can talk social work language to social work language and then identify uh, those, um, you know, those areas. I've been on some teams where we'll do full-day workshops where I'm teamed up with, I'm the doctor, there's a lawyer, there's a social worker, and uh, there's a, a therapist. And so we'll give a full-day uh, workshop hitting all those different areas and invite a whole bunch of people. Um, so there's writing articles, reading books, educating yourself. Um, but there's this personal advocacy, which is really the foundation. I mean, it's, it's prayer, which is vertical, and asking God what he wants. And if you're fired up, if this juice is used, this is something you want to do. Okay, it's, it's getting before God and standing in the gap and, and praying for these women. He hears their voice. He hears each one of them. But it's standing in the gap for them, but also help asking God, to help you see and to change your heart towards them. Because believe me, <laughs> it is hard. For one, you're in a dangerous place and you're treading on the front lines against the enemy and there will be pressure and it will be hard. And you will have no idea what you've gotten yourself into. Um, I know, I've been there. But then it's also, it will be hard because 
you'll want to strangle these people sometimes. And you're just like, oh, you know, I just want to, you know, I just want to, you know, I love you, but can't you accept the love? And, and, and asking God continually to change your heart and to give, and to give and ask him for his love for these women. Because when you're, it's like that doctor. You know, if you're not seeing each person as an image of God, someone who's God, who God loves. I, I've been sitting in a brothel in Thailand, and this girl is completely naked. Not one thread is on her body. And she's just sitting there, and, you know, we're having a conversation. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> you know, it's just like as if it was completely normal. But absolutely to remove judgment. And, and actually, this, this goes towards working cross-culturally in general when things are strange and, you know, they're, they have no sensitivity towards, you know, morality, some of the things that, some of the other stories I've heard. But when someone's smelly, dirty, giving you attitude, I mean, these, these women are hurting so bad, but even the more that they hurt, the more attitude they give back and the more difficult that they can become. But it's recognizing that it's just hurt and pain and anger that's coming out, and it's not against you, and it's not that they don't want your help. You just have to press in with love. Press in, press in, press in with love. And you can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your own heart. Yeah, certainly. And so there's service. All kinds of things you can do. Um, there's list of organizations. Um, service means doing shelters, um, microfinance projects, skills. But a lot of organizations that I know, including my own, need backup support. Like, what can you do as a student? You can help uh, do lit reviews. Um, I I work in an, I do not have access to a lot of medical journals because you have to pay for access to those. But as a medical student, you have free accounts at the medical library. Yeah. You know, and it, it's it's helping to serve like that, and it's being backup. It's it's raising, having fundraising campaigns. It's talking to your other students about this, your peers, um, and it's or it's you can't always go. I mean, it's great. You know, it's great to be able to go, and I'm not saying don't, but it just doesn't mean going and doing the rescue. It just doesn't mean going and doing a clinic in a shelter. I mean, there's, there's that, of course, but there's a lot more behind-the-scenes support work that you can do that can help those of us on the front line. And it's just knowing what's going on in your own community because it's happening in your community, I guarantee. Uh, 15,000 American children are trafficked every year. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's happening. And so understanding... Well, where do you go? Well, maybe we can talk about more practical ways, but it's, it's happening. It's just being aware. And also laws, advocacy to change our, our crazy laws in this country that criminalize uh, 13-year-old girls who are arrested for prostitution. Sorry, you know, they're not the criminals. Um, so this is a picture of Shenyang. So just a practical example of what I'm doing lately. Um, is a city of 8 million people. Shenyang, China is in the northeast. It's, it's between North Korea, uh, Mongolia, Russia, and 8 million people. I just uh, moved there in January, found out from people who've been living in that city for almost 20 years that there is no known outreach to these women. I said, well, I can't go all around the world doing this work and not have something in my own city. Excuse me. 
So I just so I just said, okay, God, let's just start praying. And God is bringing me a team of local women. Local people is the key. It's a synergistic effect because they will carry it on. They know the vernacular. They know their city. They know what's going on. But also, they need they need you or me to help them learn about what it's what it means to work with these women because they want to help, but they're still they're still in the process of their own personal advocacy of of learning because they have notion. Well, these women are bad women, or they just choose it. You know, they want to help them because you know they've made a bad choice. <laughs> And they want to help them because they, they sense a need, but it's understanding, okay, we've got to, what does it mean to work? And getting a team together and having them being really serious about it. So right now we're in the stages of laying a foundation of prayer. Because I've had women come in and they said, you know, this really isn't for me, that's fine. Um, and so the goal is to do prayer walking, outreach. I've named it Jericho Project. Um, this isn't, this is a entertainment center. This is... There's karaoke bars, saunas, bathhouses. Um, in this city, it's not like other cities I've been in where you can see a brothel. It's a, you know, a hairdressing salon, and there's a hair dryer on the counter and maybe a comb or a bottle of shampoo. Uh, you know, but the girls are sitting on couches um, dressed uh, provocatively. There's that. But in this city, which is relatively wealthy, um, it's like Jericho. You can see this building's almost a block long. And Jericho, you know, had six feet wide uh, walls. And so it looks like, and not just saying everything, everyone who goes in there is looking for this kind of entertainment, um, but it is certainly available. Um, even though in China it's illegal, but there are still six million prostituted women in the country. So right now we're praying for Rahab, a spy on the inside, someone to link us, someone to give us a way in, um, a chink in the wall, so to speak, that only God knows who that person is or those people are. God knows where the chinks are. But this is what, this is this is the kind of thing we're up against. It's and there are and then there's other older women in the parks on the street, um, giving anywhere from you know a basic massage to you know a full service massage, if you will. Um, so this is a karaoke bar. Now I go, I go sing karaoke. Okay, it doesn't keep me from going. I mean, I'll, I'll, you go to ones. Well, the nicer ones have more English songs. But you know, I, you know, I like going there. But then you see. But then you just keep awareness and you start seeing things. Like I talk to people, like I don't see any of this going on. I'm like, well, you know, you just have to get your eyes open to it, and then you can't ever then forget about vacationing in Thailand because. <laughs> You know, it, it's all there. But anyway, but this is a situation that, you know, is this, have I, I mean, honestly, I've never done this. I've never done a startup project before, but I can't not do it. And this is what's compelling me to do this. But also prevention. And I want to just hit on this because this is what, no matter if you're going to do work specifically in human trafficking or not, we're all called to serve the poor. You know, missions, you know, serves marginalized people. We're talking children with disabilities. You know, I know a lot of deaf people. A lot of children with limb deformities are crawling on. They're, they're snatched up and trafficked for begging um, or for whatever. They're, they're impoverished. There's women who, you know, we talk about food security. 
Well, you know, there's Iraqi women in Syria who are without anything. They have to prostitute themselves to make enough money to support themselves and their families. I mean, when you talk about food prices going up and droughts, food security increases um, the increases the number of prostitute women just because that's. I mean, there's there's other articles. There's I mean, I all this I can I can document. It, it's but going and, and fighting it. So we just need to end poverty, you know, with Jeffrey Sachs, right? <laughs> no, not really. I don't even think ending poverty will end and um, prostitution and trafficking, but it will certainly help. And identifying marginalized groups. So if you're working with marginalized groups, maybe you're not working specifically with trafficking, but if you're doing community development, um, you can identify uh, villages who are at risk for having all their women leave. There are villages in Asia, in China, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, where there's hardly other, any women left because they've all gone, either they're migrant workers or someone comes and says, hey, you know, I see you've got a couple of girls here. Uh, we can give them a job in a factory and they can support uh, their brother or their cousin that wants to go to university. It's because those girls aren't going to go to university. But... They'll be, ex but if they have an opportunity to make money, and sometimes the girls will believe that's the. I mean, I'm not saying that's not in their culture. That's not a dishonorable thing to do, but the temptation is just to, is is to believe someone who can't be trusted, and so having ideas and ways that they can they can know about. Okay, is this a real situation or not? And and just to prevent and doing education in the villages where you work, in minority groups, um, in China, in the province I used to live, um, it's a sex tourism destination because half of China's minority groups live, are located in that particular province, and young minority children, because they look different, their skin is a little wider, or they're a little bit more slender, they just, they have a reputation for being the most beautiful people in China. And so there's plane loads of sex tourists going down. And, I, you know, Chinese, even Han, the, the ethnic mi majority of Chinese, they'll dress up in minority dress to pose as when they're working in sex industry because if they dress like a minority, they think, well, they'll, that will make them more attractive and get more clients for more money. So, um, so this is, I do a lot of work with orphans. So, you know, a lot of orphans... Um, in China, uh, there's uh, there's good reason to believe that a lot of orphans are children of prostituted women. I mean, it's amazing that they're born anyway um, in the first place because the abortion rates in China are astronomical. Um, but there's plenty of healthy boys and girls um, and children with disabilities. And so working with orphans um, and identifying them as uh, as a group at risk. Here I'm trying to stuff one in my uh, in my pocket to abscond with this little <laughs> peen that <laughs> oh what do you fit you know um, so how to do this you know do your research in advance be educated understand you know do some reading understand the situation um, there's a lot being done now at Shared Hope does a lot of work with uh, domestic minor sex trafficking um, I'll give you a list of organizations on the next slide but uh, Trainings, curriculum development. Doctors at War is going to start putting together a curriculum 
for physicians um, and other healthcare providers um, on uh, all, uh, a more formal curriculum and doing trainings uh, for healthcare providers. Uh, networking with medical and non medical. You know, on the field, you know, I'm a pediatrician. First, I moved there, I had no idea what I was getting into, but being available. So, if your regular day job um, in America or in the field is doing this kind of work, or if you're working a clinic or doing community development or, or whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter where you are. It's understanding, well, are there needs in the community? Is there a way that you can um, be of service um, to people who, are, who have outreaches to um, traffic victims or boys at risk? Or is there a way that you can have, is there, can you work in a special clinic or can you volunteer? Or like, for example, on the field, you know, I was working in clinics, but then having, having a set time every other week, having a set clinic just for um, these women. Um, and being available, making yourself available to people. And, and maybe you don't have time to start a whole outreach or, or make that a focus of your ministry, but certainly you can help support um, the other ministries in your area. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or Shenyang, China. And being aware and being available and being proactive, seeking out and networking uh, with people. Um, and this is a quote by a woman in India. You know, as we, we do um, surveys and focus groups and, and physical exams, and they won't always ask you this. <laughs> Um, but we always ask them open-ended questions, like, you know, any other questions, or, you know, is there anything else that you need? And she just says, I'm going to get out of this hell. And that's really what it is for, it doesn't matter what they've made a choice. I mean, they, like, money aside, there's so many quotations um, that I could share with you that, you know, they made this choice as a sacrifice for their children, and it's just it's just hell for them. And, and giving them another choice and helping them get out of this hell. Um, oh yeah, some global health promise. Um, that is my organization. I helped start this nearly two years ago, and so that's an organization addressing health consequences of human trafficking. There's um, there. That's um, I'll skip ahead. Um, there's so I I mean I, I won't go into what I do, but anyway, I helped start this organization. I'm the medical director. And when I'm talking about our focus groups and traveling around, this is with whom I'm doing this. There's Doctors at War. Um, they have a booth up here. Um, and that's just a brand new organization just started this, this year about just networking healthcare professionals. Um, we have a couple of projects. Uh, the curriculum project that we're going to start, um, we want to do a database of shelters and, and outreach to help connect people who want to help serve in the, either domestically or internationally, just an, a network and a database of, of shelters and other projects that can use you on a short or long or much longer term basis. Uh, Destiny Rescue is another um, faith-based, um, incredible organization that has um, these 18 shelters. Um, Grace Haven. Uh, Jeffrey Barrows, um, he's the CMDA trafficking expert. He gave a talk on this last year. He is an OBGYN, quit his job, and is starting a shelter, um, a shelter for girls, and he's, like, in a small town outside of Columbus, Ohio. 
and they're not even open yet, and they're getting referrals for girls. <laughs> but they need funds. He says, he says, well, make a plug for me. <laughs> and they really need to raise funds to get their house set up so that they can really start to have girls um, staying at their Um, Grace Haven, Fast, Faith Alliance Against Sex Trafficking, Destiny Rescue, World Hope International, it's Christian, Salvation Army, and there's not for sale, Stop the Traffic, Shared Hope, and yeah, you know, it just, I mean, you Google, you know, human trafficking, there's all kinds of organizations, all kinds of things, lots, lots of advocacy, lots of awareness raising, um, but there's more and more um, health-specific organizations that are popping up where we can fit this ever-needed niche um, because I've been asked to do workshops at a number of medical schools um, just to train them on health consequences and, and working domestic and international. Oh, five minutes only for questions. So anyway, I'll stop talking. I could talk more, but I'll ask some questions and then we'll be available um, Well, I'm here the rest of the time. So... And if you don't get a hold of me now, just um, talk to uh, Dr. Boku at Doctors at War. So, anything right now? Pressing question? Yes. Why China? Why did you move to China? Uh, well, I was in the Thailand chapter ended, and China just seemed that's where I was supposed to go. I mean, I I don't I I when I moved there, I really didn't have a compelling reason to go other than that's where I felt God wanted me to be. Um, it wasn't to work specifically on this project or with these women or I was supposed to work on HIV AIDS. Why China? It's That's where I'm supposed to be. And that's still the answer. Um, I mean, I could live anywhere and do this, but it's China. Not very satisfying, but that's the answer I have. <laughs> yes? In general, over the um, yes, good question. We need more data on that. I mean, I we can only we can only take community-based data, and then that's that's the thing. It's like a lot of this data we can have we can we can do surveys and have certain questions and certain indicators that can be compared cross-culturally and cross-nationally. Um, but a lot of this um, is also related directly to the community and what they're facing in that particular situation, which is why it's the benefits of, of finding... I actually can't answer your question. I don't know, like, across the board, um, because it's underreported. I mean, these girls, you know, the people who are being trafficked are a dime a dozen. And if they're being difficult, I mean, they'll be murdered and thrown over. I mean, if they're not reported officially. So it's getting in there and talking with these people in general. So I, and as far as being rescued and how many are being rescued out, I, I don't really know. Because actually, you know, we have a defi definition of trafficking. But in the real world, I mean, that definition is so blurred that it's, it's, you, it's hard to say. And so when we're doing surveys, we try to ask identification of, of trafficking, but the, the definition really is blurred. Yes? Oh, I don't know, but it's... it's Well, it's probably... 
Washington D.C. is up there, but it's probably New York State or my or Florida. I, but also, those are the two states um, that have the mo most progressive legislation addressing um, prostitution and trafficking. And so, you watch what's happening in those states um, with the with the legal uh, with the legal issues. California is also way up there, but California is way behind on on the legal matters. But Florida, um, California, but Florida, and because I, I know there's people working, um, lawyers and health professionals really doing a lot of work there. But I don't know what number one is. It's but one, two, yeah. It's Wash. It's D.C., New York, Florida. Yeah, yeah. Was there? I thought I saw. It. Yes. Yeah, that's another group because um, we we're talking with them about linking up with their rescue to do a post-rescue um, health assessments. And um, so nothing against IGM, but they're lawyers, so. <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, they can, I mean, they're, they're, well, they don't work in China. Um, I mean, you know, I, you, you've got to respect that they work with their locals. And so it's just, it's, it's getting, it's not, and it's not always them. But it's also getting funding for a project like that because people who are funding IGM's work, they're not thinking beyond rescue or the long-term health consequences. So whoever's funding IGM projects, I mean, that's great. Now, IGM gets it, but sometimes we had a project fall through because their funder was like, no, that's not what we want to do. I mean, nothing against that, but that's like, well, you know, it, it's just changing their mindset. Like, hello. You know, this is long, long term. You're in it for the long haul. And understanding that, you know, if you want to help them, you have to be committed to them and their recovery. Yes? Even when you say rescue in China, if someone's rescued, then um, what's after that? I mean, mm. nothing, what's to go, what, what's the choices to go? You still have to support your family. So well, in, in, in China, Every country looks a little bit different. Um, in China, a lot of a lot of these women are married. Actually, <laughs> sometimes their husbands are their own pimps. Um, and rescue does not. I say that, but it doesn't always imply going and raiding a brothel and getting them out, or meeting someone and having them, you know, sneak away. Sometimes it means meeting the girls after they've, in China, they're sent to rehabilitation schools or centers for six months, and it's developing a relationship with them while they're there, while they're separated, and trying to get them, when they come out, trying to get to them before their pimp comes back. And so that's also, I consider, rescue. And it's, it's, it's microfinance projects, even in an urban setting, or retraining them. And it's not just rescue, it's, it's, it's a process of of rescuing them and saving them from their own oppressive thoughts about themselves and, and their own self-image and how awful they think of themselves and how they're really not worth anything. And so it's you can train them to do a job, but that doesn't mean that they're truly living free, <laughs> which is something that a lot of secular organizations don't get at all. And so this is what we really are all about. It's about rescuing and saving them um, from their physical situation, but also from and but for them oppressive and their thoughts that enslave them and that the enemy 
has kept them in bondage for so long. So it's it's holistic and treating them holistically. And it's just working with them. It looks different. There's shelters. There's this. Uh, it, you have to find what works in there for that community. For example, um, in China, when we were people had the people that were doing the outreach had no idea that they that they were assuming that all these women were single with no children. But when I'm doing just a health, um, just a basic demographic um, health questionnaire, it's like they had children. And so then one of their shelters that they had set up became a family-friendly shelter. So one of their shelters was for women without children. One became the, a shelter for women with children. And so it's just by asking the question. I mean, there's NGOs that had no idea about the violence, had no idea about the mental health. And so they're like, well, you know, it's like if you don't ask, you won't know. And you have to ask the same question. You can't make assumptions. You have to keep asking. This is what, you know, you're trained to do in nursing medical school. You know, ask the questions. Don't assume it's a ridiculous question. And But their recovery, it, it really depends on the country, the culture, everything. And also the, the um, sort of law. Um, the legal environment in which they live, and and it's 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 complicated in China because of registration and things like that. So, any other questions? But I should probably let you walk out, and I'll just be here. But I will officially let you go, and we'll talk.